So, in um, Luke chapter 18 and the first verse, Jesus told the people that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what's prayer all about when he says pray? What exactly does he mean? And I've got eight questions and hopefully eight or more answers. So question number one, what is prayer? When Jesus said to pray, what, what does he mean? Well, Matt gave me some stuff while I was preparing this and part of it was um, an extract from a book and one of the chapters was entitled Enjoy the Gift of Having God's Ear. Well, that's one definition of prayer. Um, as I was preparing this, I thought, you know, some of you might have a famous or favourite sportsman or musician, singer, actor. And I wonder what you would feel if you could spend some time with them and have their ear. It'd be a great privilege. Well, we have the greater privilege of being able to talk to God. And not only talking to God, but being with him, sometimes just being in his presence, sometimes listening. I'm sure all of us, certainly most of us know that being a Christian is not just being a good person or, you know, I do these things and I don't do those things. Christianity is about a relationship with a person, the Lord Jesus. C.S. Lewis said, the great purpose of prayer is to come humbly, expectantly, boldly, into the conscious presence of God, to relate to him, talk to him, and enjoy him as our great treasure. John Piper said, it's not wrong to ask for gifts, Jesus told us to ask, but every gift should be desired because it shows us and brings us more of him. So prayer is not meant to be a kind of a shopping list. You know, Lord, do this, please do that, please do that. It, it's more than that. Compare it with being with a friend. You know, if, you, if you're with a friend sometime, it, it's not one way, it's, it's an interaction. Um, I meet up most weeks with Pete Bowen. And when we're together, it's not like all one way, it's not like him doing all the talking and me doing all the listening. Or what would be more likely, me doing all the talking and him listening. It's not like that, it's an interaction. So he'd tell me what's happening in his life, I do the same. And it's the same with the Lord. It's not coming with a list, although there is an aspect of that, but it's, it's meant to be two-way, it's communication. My father, uh, sometimes, he said to me, sometimes when I pray, I know the answer is on the way, because God shows him in his own spirit, yeah, this answer is coming. He didn't see the answer yet, but he knew it was on the way. And so he stopped praying. He wouldn't pray for that thing because he knew God had heard and he was going to answer. So it's two-way. Question number two, who is to pray? Well, anyone who claims to be a Christian. I can't really believe somebody can genuinely be born again and then say, well, I don't have any desire to talk to God. To me, it doesn't add up. And it doesn't matter about your past. Uh, you may have been brought up in a Christian family. Sharon was brought up in a Buddhist home. Uh, you may be from a home where there's no 
particular beliefs. The past makes no difference. And age makes no difference. You might be younger, you might be older, it doesn't make any difference. Anyone who wants to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, the only way to really get to know someone is to pray, uh, is to be with them, and the only way to get to know God is to pray. Question is, do you want to know the Lord? Do you have a desire to know God? Uh, if you do, then you have to spend time with him. Question three, how should I pray? For instance, when? Well, I find it best first thing in the day, first thing in the morning. Some people pray last thing at night. Uh, some in their lunchtime. If you're a shift worker, it probably, it probably varies. It doesn't really matter. That's up to you. You do what, what works for you. Uh, where should I pray? Well, I'd suggest a nice quiet place, like your own bedroom. Or um, I've heard of people going by the riverside or by the forest or whatever. Well, that wouldn't work for me. But that's what some people do. Find a place where you could be alone, where you can be quiet. And do I lie in bed and pray? Do I stand? Do I kneel? Do I... Does it matter, the, the posture? I don't think it matters to the Lord, but it matters to me, because if I lie in bed and pray, well, I'd probably fall asleep. And people my age, if they kneel down, tend not to be able to get back up again. So I tend to sit. But it's up to you. And again, it's what works for you. How long should I pray? Well, if you're new, if you, if you don't pray at all, and you think, right, from today, I'm going to start. I would suggest something like maybe five, ten minutes. I think most people can do that, you know, to start up. Um, obviously, if you're more experienced, some of you have been Christians a while, you might be more experienced in prayer, uh, and you can do more. Jesus actually said to his disciples, could you not watch with me one hour? Now, you don't have to pray an hour every day. You can if you want to but maybe now and again. And I read an incident from uh, John Wesley's life. He had a particularly busy day. He said, I have so much to do today, I must spend an extra hour in prayer. So I don't know how many hours he prayed. It doesn't matter. The important thing is that you pray. The important thing is that we start somewhere. There was a prayer conference I was reading about recently. Now, you think if it's a conference on prayer, you think, well, these people have got some idea what they're doing. Very few of them were doing more than five minutes. And many of them were ministers. And I think, well, if they don't pray, not much over the rest of us. I remember our old pastor in Slough, he said it was Satan's masterstroke when he stopped the church praying. Yong Yi Cho, who is, um, well, he was a pastor in Korea, he said, our problem has been that we have thought about prayer, read about prayer, and even been taught about prayer, but we just have not prayed. And if you read through the Bibles, you see various examples of people who prayed short prayers, long prayers, whatever. <clears throat> Question four, what should I pray for? 
Well, I said earlier on, when you're with God, it's like, it's like when you're with a friend. So what should I pray for? That's a bit like saying to me, I'm going to meet my friend tomorrow. What do you think we should talk about? Well, you talk about whatever interests you both. What, what, what's important to you both. You share lives, like I said earlier. When I was in Sunday school, and that's going back away. That's quite a memory that I can remember that far back. Uh, I was taught, remember four words, right? Now, you might want to write these down. Worship, confession, others, self, okay? So you begin by worshipping God. You acknowledge who he is, uh, acknowledge his kindness, what he's done for you, what he's going to do. Uh, spiritual and physical blessings you can thank him for. So you acknowledge his greatness and you thank him. <clears throat> and if you read the Psalms, you will get expressions of praise and worship and thanks. And you can make them your own. Number one then was worship. Number two, confession. So you come before God and you confess any known sin. Ask him to reveal to you any unknown sin. You might be I'm sure we all sin every day. And it's good for us to open our hearts and ask the Lord to show us. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I pray that most days because I need God's grace and his forgiveness. So worship, confession, others. Pray for the pastors. I'm sure Matt and Peter will be more than happy to hear that you pray for them every day. Pray for Grace Church. When you're there Sunday morning, you know, we pray every Sunday for somebody or some situation. Make a note of it and for the rest of the week, use that, you know, on this set when you're praying for others. Pray for those you know who are in need in the, in the church. I mean, I'm sure Megan would greatly appreciate your prayers at the moment. Um, pray for unsaved friends, families, neighbours. I've got an app on my phone called Operation World and every day there's a different country to pray for. It gives you some idea about what's happening in, in the countries. Um, Sovereign Grace do a, I think it's a monthly email and they give a list of all that's happening in Sovereign Grace churches. I mean, I started off saying five minutes. Praying for others, that would just go through these things. That would take you five minutes up. Um, so there's plenty of people, plenty of things, situations around the world. I mean, you see it on the TV. Plenty of things to pray for. <clears throat> so worship, confession, others, then pray for yourself. Personal needs, uh, physical or spiritual. I, I tend to pray through a psalm each day. Now, sometimes it works better than others, but um, I just go through... I, I start obviously Psalm 1 and then each day go through and it gives me ideas what to pray for and some of the things in there I turn into my own prayers and you can do the same with the Lord's Prayer take that and don't, don't I don't think Jesus meant us just to kind of endlessly repeat it but take the, the points that are made in that prayer and, and turn it into your own prayer Question five, what will be the result of my praying? 
Well, you will grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. You will have a greater awareness of sin and a greater awareness of your Saviour. You will live a life that is more honouring to God. And um, as we pray continually, God's people are strengthened and his enemies are put down. Apparently Mary, Queen of Scots, said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. There was a woman who recognised a man who could pray. Question six. What does always mean? <clears throat> well, it means regularly, often, um, not just kind of hit and miss, you know. So you get up in the morning, do I feel like praying? No, I'm a bit tired, I won't bother. No, no. Every day, de determine from today, right, tomorrow, either, I say, you choose the time, but I'm going to pray. And if you're starting out and you're doing that five minutes, put it by the clock, you know, time yourself. Uh, pray when you don't see results, which will happen at times. Pray when you don't feel like doing it. See, I said earlier about my father, he had times when he knew the answer was on the way. I can remember him telling me about one situation and he said, the more I pray, the worse it seems to get. And prayer is a battle. Some, some battles you win and some you lose. And some you just have to kind of get stuck in and keep your head down and keep going. Pray in the good times. Pray in the bad times. People ought always to pray and not lose heart. So what does lose heart mean? That's question seven. Why do you say don't lose heart? Well, obviously because the tendency, certainly at times, can be to lose heart. <clears throat> Sometimes you feel nothing's happening. Uh, you don't always see immediate answers. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Uh, and and uh, sometimes you can feel you're just praying the same things all the time. You come with the same shopping list. You know, you just seem to be praying for the same things. Well, keep praying and don't lose heart. Um, most of you probably know Muller Road in, in um, Bristol. Well, it's named after George Muller, who was, he was a man of faith and a man of prayer. And he had several orphanages. This is going back. I don't know, 200 years perhaps, 150, 200, something like that. Uh, and he said there was somebody he prayed for for over 30 years. So he kept at it, and he kept at it, and he kept at it, and he prayed, and he did not lose heart. And eventually he saw an answer to his prayer. <clears throat> Question eight. What might hinder prayer? You know, sometimes you can pray and the Bible makes it clear sometimes we can pray and the Lord won't hear. So what, what, what will hinder prayer? Well, of course, unbelief. If you don't believe that God is interested in your prayer, then you're not going to pray. You think, well, will God hear me? There's an incident in the Old Testament where um, there's a woman called Hagar and she had a little child and uh, 
without going into the whole story, they, they ended up in the wilderness and they'd run out of food and water. And she put the child down thinking that's the end. So I put him here to die and she walked off. And the, the child was crying. And the Bible says the Lord heard the voice of the child. I mean, that's amazing that God should hear one little child in the, in the wilderness. And he wasn't even the child of the promise. So <clears throat> if you don't believe that God hears your prayer, your cry, well, I want to assure you he does, okay? But if you don't, then obviously you're not going to believe. Lack of desire. Do you want God? Do you really want God himself? See, I'm not asking, do you want the benefits of knowing God? Because everybody wants that. Even people don't believe in God. They don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in prayer. And yet they have some kind of hope that somehow it all turns right in the end. <clears throat> I know somebody, no faith in God, no, they don't go to church, no interest in the Bible. And their father died, and then within a few weeks, the mum died. So this person is saying, ah, oh, now they're together again. Well, how are they together? If, if it's all not true, you know, what, what are you talking about? They're together again. It's just a vague, kind of vain sort of hope. And even people, I'm saying, who don't believe in God would like the blessings and the benefits in the Old Testament, there was a man called Balaam. And um, <clears throat> God revealed to him the destiny of the people of God. And as he looked, he said, Oh, that I might die the death of the righteous. He wasn't interested in knowing God. He wasn't interested in a life of righteousness. He just saw that they were headed for something good and he wanted it. And so the question I'm asking is, do you want God, not just the benefits, do you want God himself? And of course, thirdly, uh, deliberate sort of unconfessed sin, that will hinder our prayers. Bishop J.C. Ryle, he was, um, again, about 200 years ago, something like that, and he was a Church of England bishop. Uh, probably one of the greatest men the Church of England's ever had, I would think. And he said this, prayer will consume sin or sin will choke prayer. And then again, just saying prayers if you don't really mean it. Um, it's very easy, just, just a mouth work, you know, you kind of say, say prayer, but there's no heart behind that. I heard about one man, he taught his parrot to say the Lord's Prayer. Well, I doubt if the Almighty was moved much by that. But you see, you can teach a parrot to say prayers. But what we're talking about prayer, we're talking about communion with God. We're talking about expressing your heart and make sure your heart and soul are in it when you pray. So, if we are going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, we really must spend time in prayer. We live in very evil days. 
And only God can change that. But he can change. He can change people's hearts. He can change societies. But it usually works in response to our prayers. Charles Spurgeon said this, <clears throat> men can stand against anything but prayer. We would pray the very gates of hell off their hinges if we could pray as some men have done. Oh, that we had might in prayer. I implore you, do not cease to pray. Cease what you please, but do not give up that. Wrestle with God, and truly, the Lord, our God, will bless us. Before I finish, I just want to make a couple of final points. See, this weekend, uh, Matt has spoken, uh, Tom will tomorrow, and me today. See, this is, this is not about um, guilt. You know, you should be doing this and you're not doing it. It's not, it's not that at all. We are kind of reminding ourselves and hopefully reminding you of the great privilege that we have to, to join together in fellowship, to read the word and to pray it. <clears throat> Boris Johnson, I'm sure you can remember him, uh, he had a childhood ambition. He wanted to be king of the world when he was little. Well, he became prime minister. I suppose that's about the nearest he's going to get. But you see, king of the world, what a, what a puny ambition. What a pokey little ambition that is, king of the world. Jesus said you can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. What's the point? I prefer the apostle Paul's ambition Listen to the passion of his heart, that I may know him. That's an ambition. You see, you can have everything in the world, and I know you have ambition, careers, and, and all that's right in its place. But keep this ambition, to know God, and, you, and, and prayer, and these other things that will be mentioned, and have been mentioned, that is all a vital part of it. Now, you are all young people, right? Now, the more observant amongst you will realise I am not young. I've been around a little while. And you have all your years in front of you. Now, I know this is how, how old people always talk, but that time will go, and it will go rapidly. You may or not get to my... I'm 74. Not everybody makes it to 74. When you get there, if you get there, or whatever age you get to, what do you want to look back on? Do you want to look back and say, wow, do you know, that, that weekend, that's when I decided I was going to be all out for the Lord. I'm going to pray, I'm going to read the word, I'm going to make sure I make every opportunity for fellowship. You'll either look back and say, I'm glad I did that, or you'll look back and say, oh, I wish I could have those years back. 
I wish I could go back to that weekend and be different. Now you have the opportunity and it's entirely up to you. Life is a one-off golden opportunity and you have it. When I worked for a living, I was in a business meeting in Birmingham on a Saturday. Uh, it was a one-day kind of um, motivational thing. <clears throat> the man leading this meeting stood up, and there were maybe 4,000 of us, something like that. He said, 95% of you will go away and you'll be no different. He said, 5% would take notice, make notes, go home, think about it, and your lives will be changed. I don't know how those percentages work here. If it's the same split, can I urge you, make sure you're in the 5%. You have, and I can't emphasize it enough, a golden opportunity to get to know the Lord himself. I quoted um, Bishop Ryle earlier, and I'm going to finish quoting him. And he actually finishes with another question, which I'm not going to answer, because that's for you to answer. <clears throat> he said, deathbeds are great revealers of secrets. I cannot forget what I have seen of sick and dying people. This leads me to believe that few pray. I cannot see your heart. I do not know your private history in spiritual things. But from what I see in the Bible and in the world, I am certain I cannot ask you a more necessary question than this. Do you pray? <clears throat>